You are listening to the Fresh Take Network. What it is, what it do, welcome to Fresh Take. Joshua, Adam, William, Arbuthnot, and you know him in the past. He's been on here plenty of times from the Gifted Gab, one of the best minds in Canada, Alex Eskandarka. He is part and the mind of the new documentary I'm talking about the Nate Ooks and their fantastic coach, the one and only Alex. Thanks for coming on, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, man. So I guess kind of the, uh, you know, we know you from the podcast um, doing Gift to Gab and you have so many other things. Your resume is as long as the day is, my grandpa used to say. Uh, what brought you into the filmmaking side of things? Yeah, um, it's interesting because, you know, for Coach Want Black, it uh, it kind of fell in my lap while we were doing the Gifted Gab. Um, a buddy of mine that I had went to high school with back in Toronto had approached me and said, man, you got to look at you got to look into this story. You got to talk to this coach. You know, he's got this incredible, this incredible journey. Um, and he's like, I think you should bring him on your podcast. I said, all right, you know, let me look into it. Let me do my homework, uh, do my due diligence. And, you know, I do, I vetted, you know, uh, Coach Phillips, as I do with everybody we bring on the podcast. And, and I started pulling up, you know, tons of media coverage, articles. Uh, you know, he got a lot of attention from the media when he came to Alberta and and, and he was winning. And so I'm like, yo, there's enough here for like a 30 for 30. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at the time when, when when we were doing that research, I was producing short docs for the Collective for Black Iranians. So I was already, uh, I'd already been bit by the filmmaking bug. And then I just saw a story that I felt like needed to be told. And so <clears throat> we just said, yo, let's, let's, let's make this movie. You know, there's no rules. We don't, you know, we're ignorant to the rules of filmmaking and all that. And we went in and said, let's, let's, let's find a way to tell this story. So that's what we did. And how was Don receptive to that? The idea of that? Well, Don, uh, you know, he, I think he had his, his skepticism. I think a lot of people have approached him to tell his story before. Um, a lot of people have promised him and said, hey, we're going to tell your story. He was telling me after the fact. So I don't think at, at first he was very, very excited. I think he was just like, yeah, whatever. Let's see what you can do type of thing. And um, as, you know, kind of got traction and gained legs, I think he kind of seen, okay, well, these guys are a little bit, a little bit serious, right? A little bit serious. So, yeah, the beginning, no, he was just, he was open to it. He was super open to it. And, um, you know, that was three years ago, and now we're here three years later. What was the, when you guys were collaborating and having these conversations, what was the main point that he wanted the for him, for his legacy to be taken away from this documentary? Well, the biggest thing from my understanding that he wanted is that he has fought this fight, this fight, you know, um, He's been done wrong, right? Um, In the beginning of the film, I think it was with the hopes of someone watching and saying, hey, let's give this guy a chance. But as the doc progressed and and the production of it progressed, 
he kind of came into his own and 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 started leaning on his expertise in new ways uh, and old ways too. He's more of a connector as a coach. Uh, he's busy placing guys, NBA guys, you know, Division One guys. He places a lot of guys here in Canada. He places guys from here in the states, and so now he's moved from this coaching uh, expertise to like this holistic consultant uh placement uh kind of kind of like a mentor you know and so he's placing guys you know guys are getting drafted and, you know getting drafted and, and all this stuff so in the beginning i think it was with the idea of uh going back to coaching but it's, you know the events from the documentary over a decade ago you know yeah and it's really difficult to get back in with a decade gap in your in your resume right yeah well and, and you talk about the decade gap and being uh you know a member of the uh the acac and being a broadcaster uh in that i i know how incredibly hard it is to get archived footage uh particularly after the pandemic a lot of the older footage was scrapped um so how did you how were you guys able to get some of that archive footage because i know it's not easy to come by no man the archive footage was a nightmare for us um luckily uh don had a lot uh, and then there was some stragglers around on the internet that I was able to find and gather. Uh, um, the archive footage for the ACAC stuff was just about uh, understanding what footage we had access to mm-hmm. uh, and understanding, obviously, I had to go through about you know 50 hours of game footage. And so understanding what clips work well to tell the story. Uh, and if you notice in the film, we didn't really lean very, the archive footage helps tell the story. But we didn't lean on it in terms of like the basketball stuff, you know. Um, and so the process was more, a little more sophisticated with, you know, like the NCAA footage. Um, there was another archive footage, some of the archive footage from Nationals that we didn't put on the TV. Uh, that footage, you know, we had to pay for all those different, uh, the, the use cases for all those mm-hmm. different archive footage. And so that was kind of, you know, just having the budget to just pay licensing fees for that kind of stuff was more of the difficult part. Uh, and, and then also finding the, the actual databases for some of them, because a lot of the footage we had mm-hmm. in our hands, um, but we didn't know who owned it, right? The ACAC yeah. owned some of it. Um, I think uh, Bell Media had acquired some company that folded in Brandon. And so we had to find out how they, like the chain of title with that footage, uh, there was some American footage. And so the footage becomes, I think about it, I'm like, wow, without the footage, you know, how do we tell the story, right? So mm-hmm. it was, it helped a lot. Yeah. Well, even with Bull Khan and the NCAA footage, was that, was, I believe it kind of looked like it was a Edmonton broadcast that showed it, but was there any path you had to go through with the fact that you had NCAA footage, quote unquote, even though it was used by second source news? It was actually Spokane. Washington. Okay. Okay. So it was crime too. Okay. Yeah. So that was, that's what we had to go to. It was, I think a CBS station or something like that. Yeah, I thought it might be Spokane. I, where I had my practicum there. So I looked a little familiar. Yeah. That's yeah. So yeah. Even that footage, like, you know, all, all the footage was from somewhere different and we had to figure, you know, everything is a different, uh, a different uh, use case, a different, uh, a different approach. It's never the same. Right. So. Yeah, how how was that? Like you know, coming into this, you said you've done short films, but then doing like you know this longer documentary and featuring out funding, featuring out where 
different sides of the money goes to how was that to did you start off just laying down a budget of what you wanted initially and did it grow did it expand did you hit it yeah i mean the first funder we got was a, an arts council um and uh usually once there's one on board the other ones will fall into place and so i probably did about there was a lot of outreach man because i didn't know exactly you know in the beginning i was thinking maybe docuseries feature length um you know you're playing around all these different formats and lengths and so i didn't know which what it would be for the film and so when we first got our first bucket of funding i was ready to pick up the camera and just go and shoot you know um but we put together a budget uh we didn't reach our desired budget which was about 220 something uh we came just short of it which was like about 170 um but it was still in more than enough to make a proper film it, it probably would have been enough to make a feature version uh yeah. but you know as a first-time filmmaker first-time producer there was a lot of uh there's a lot of learning curve right there's a lot of uh, mistakes made on my part uh, you know, uh, just un- underestimating certain services, uh, the costs of, you know, some things in the edit, you know, because it's my first time. So I don't really know how to gauge, especially a budget, you know, something might cost you, you know, $5,000, but you've only budgeted $3,000 for it. You know, what are you doing in that, that case, right? So there's a lot of, there's a big learning curve with that. And there's so many moving parts. Um, and I also wore, you know, the director, producer hat, mm-hmm. writer hat. So, you know, probably wouldn't do that on the next, another film, just because there's so much, so much work, right? But yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a process. It's a learning process that you have to be patient with. The, the one thing I found that was really interesting is, you know, it, it's always a choice you go in. So you had the narration at the beginning there, but then you did such a good job of letting everyone else do the conversation. Was there an idea to have narration throughout mixed in with the interviews? Or were you like, now we just need the narration at the beginning to set a template of where we're going and everyone else can kind of say their part and guide the story along. Yeah, originally when I first was producing the film, my idea was actually to have narration throughout the whole film. Um, But the problem with the narration would have been, you know, now I'm not letting these guys tell their story. I'm telling my interpretation of their story because then I have to write the narrative script. And so I didn't want to take away from their story i didn't want to put my lens on their story so i said you know let's do this spoken word at the beginning to kind of set a precedent um and then let them just tell it how they experienced it and then that way you know the ethical considerations um you're not it's not my story you know right it's it this story is these players coach right and they are those are lived experiences that they went through right and i think those anecdotes are so powerful throughout the film there's various different anecdotes some have to do basketball some have nothing to do with basketball but i think it was just more powerful coming from them and that was actually uh, a point that i was driving home it's like i don't want any narration you know because i look at some of the best docs some of the best docs don't even have any talking heads at all you know no, it's like yeah, you know, I thought having them tell their own story puts the power back in their hands. And so I thought that was very important. 
the Lethbridge stuff, uh, and I say stuff very, very uh, heavily. Um, my first question before we get into the stuff that happened with Lethbridge, was there an opportunity to talk to anyone from Lethbridge, including their current coach, Ryan Hagee, at all? Uh, was there a reach out to Lethbridge to comment on everything that helped there at all? No. Um, and the reason for that was the ACAC is kind of like a boys club, you know? Right. And so I knew if like people got wind that we were doing this documentary, that we were talking about this coach who wasn't really mm -hmm. like, I, I saw a lot of stonewalling just coming from Nate. Right. Mm -hmm. So I knew if I, if I had um, made my intentions known about, if I just said, Hey, I'm doing this, this program on this coach. I, I saw the roadblocks coming. I experienced a lot of them, right? A lot yeah. of people were like, I don't want to talk to you. Hey, you know, I'm not comfortable. Like, so I knew when I was coming to Lethbridge stuff, because that was some of the last stuff we shot. Um, I'm like, I, I got I to gotta keep it concealed for now. And then when the film comes out, it's not like anybody that's that was responsible for that stuff is still there, you know? So I was just like, let's just go in there, shoot it, and then ask for forgiveness later, right? Yeah, well, you know, I've also played in these gyms too, you know, as as yeah. a guy, I've played in the ACAC. So I already know, um, I already understand that there's no exaggerations with these stories, no. right? I think that, and that's why it was so important to tell that, you know, it was a, it was kind of contentious. It was nerve wracking, obviously, because you don't know what the, what the response to it is going to be. But at the end of the day, I'm sure even if we weren't talking to Nate, if we were talking to guys from SAIT, if we were talking to guys from Red Deer, Medicine Hat, mm -hmm. they would have the same experience, you know? Yeah. And so, and that's the the power of the doc is the echo, right? It's like, okay, these guys are telling the story, but there are people who watch them. Like, yeah, yeah, it is like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's unfortunately all too common. And those those calls and everything else in between happens consistently and then we kind of go to the AD at Nate and how many times were, did you guys try to apply to bring in a conversation with them? Was it just one time and you were kind of like, okay, they're not going to talk or was there multiple times you guys wanted to have a conversation to kind of see why Dom was out of it? Because the resume from everything that he had, you've seen coaches be let go for much more serious reasons than a guy that just came off a stellar season like he had. Yeah, we, we opened the conversation to AD the first time. She was really receptive to uh, the project. Uh, but I also kept it pretty vague. I just mm -hmm. said, you know, project on black coaches. Um, and at the time we were, you know, we didn't, we never really honed into Texas story until maybe uh, towards the end of the development. At first, I was always going to say, hey, let's have as many uh, black coaches as we can to kind of echo their experiences. But then I started to see like a lot of black coaches didn't want a lot of black coaches acknowledged what was going on, mm -hmm. but they were, we're not done. He, one of them was like verbatim said, I'm not done shucking and jiving yet. So I don't know if I'm mm -hmm. ready to do this kind of project. And that kind of was, that's when I was like, man, we actually are onto something here because there's other guys acknowledging that this stuff is going on and happened. And they're like, they don't want to speak on it because they're scared to lose their jobs. And that's kind of what we're seeing right now, right? People are scared to speak out on stuff that they see with the fear of losing their careers, right? And so with the AD, who obviously is not there anymore, 
when she got wind of the fact that we're doing this on text, she just expressed that she wanted nothing to do with the project, respectfully. And we respected that. So, you know, we, uh, it's not like we didn't try. We, we tried to get a lot of people's voices on board, but everybody, uh, a lot, of, I felt like there's a lot to hide, you know, because a lot of the stuff after you watch the film, if you just go and research it yourself, you'll see in plain sight coaches yeah. talking to a coach, um, who they hired after coach was dismissed and stuff like that. Like people can put the pieces of the puzzle to themselves together. Yeah, and I know you and I wanted to link up. Unfortunately, schedules just didn't work on, on stuff. And it, it, it's crazy. So, you know, being part of the ACAC on the other side, at, at the uh, on the Calgary side uh, of this, I always thought that, you know, with Don, he was part of that Nate winning the big one. And when it got to the end of it, and I found out he wasn't part of it, and obviously he's a big part of lining it all up, I got to tell you, I was really shocked. Like, forgive my ignorance for not knowing that I was actually mad at myself as someone that studies the game and is, you know, researches to a T. I just assumed that he did. I just thought, you know, you see, you know, specifically when we had the national championships up here and we had a big talk about, you know, Sate had won six AC championships and it's been a while since they won the overall CCAA championship. And the big one was like, well, big brother up there and Nate had won a lot in the uh, the 2010s. And I just assumed Don was the big, and yes, obviously he was, but I thought he had that crown on his head from being a leader of one of those championships. And you talk about his path there and getting to ACAC championships and knowing that, yeah, he got one of those, but not having the CCAA really blew me away that he never got one of those. Yeah, I think it's because, um, you know, one thing about the ACAC that we see, it's a very high turnover league, yes. right? Players don't stick around for five years. In the ACC, right, and the same is is also with coaches. You know, outside of a couple of the legacy programs like uh, you know Augustana, Concordia, um, you know, most of the coaches three four years, maybe five if they're lucky, and they're out. Right, so because of that lack of continuity, it's very difficult for programs to build. And so what, uh, from our story in in Coaching on Black, you know, you see Tex bring in these guys from Toronto, which became a trend, obviously, because I ended up coming in 2014. A lot of guys I saw that I played with in Toronto, I saw it in those subsequent years. And that became the formula for winning, right? When Nate won in 2016, they had a, a guy from Bahamas. They had, I think, a couple of guys from all these other places. So this was like a, a it was the formula. This is the formula to winning in the ACC. 100%. Is 100%. having a strong class, having a strong recruiting class, having strong veterans that have played a few years in the league, understand the nuances. And that's what Nate did, except they just had, and they had, after Don left, they had three coaches in three years, four coaches in four wow. years, actually. You know, the, the, the program maybe wrong maybe four and five years but they had a lot of coaches in a very short amount of time and so it was difficult to maintain the culture that tex had built mm -hmm. but they were still using his formula oh yeah and you and i talked about it before we got on air and you had that little mark at the end there and you know being part of the program that has really really taken the template of that obviously a great coach there and coach berkey 
Um, but that was a template that was used uh, for the Trojans. And you mentioned the end for them to run now. I think when you guys did it, they hadn't won the six one just yet. Yeah, um, yeah. But they, you know, run six and that's because they were recruiting guys from the States. I mean, Bull Khan was such a, a difference maker, I think at that point, because you weren't really seeing them guys that were playing down in, in, in the state and coming up and all of a sudden you're seeing guys like Ian Tevis, like Charlie Connor, like, John Smith. Uh, you you have guys like McCall McCarr coming from Australia. Um, mm-hmm. You had um, Fouquet, who uh, had a, a long history with his name. I believe he played out okay. in uh, Manhattan. Uh, so he had the Brazilians. He had yeah. the two Brazilians there, right? So all of a sudden, you're seeing these guys come, and, and, and women, uh, coming from all over the place. And, you know, I, I had always kind of thought, okay, because you don't see that. You see it in Canada West, and you see it in youth sport. But you started to really see it in the CCAA and the ACAC. And, you know, I, I think that's one of the really important things you let down here is Don being a great leader of men. And we'll talk about that in a bit and how much a lot of these players really took him as a mentor and a father figure for them. But also setting a template that you have seen today that both in the women's side and the men's side that they use all the time for recruiting. I had a coach tell me this year at the end of the season, they had refused to have anyone but Canadian-born players and Alberta players on their team because they wanted to win that way for the longest time. And this is the first year they said, it just doesn't work. We have to go the other way. And I think that's a template that Don did a really good job of setting. Yeah, Don, I think, was very, very ahead of his time because, you know, when he took that job in 08, um, he wasn't going to these cities to recruit these guys. He was using the internet. Right. He was just looking at these guys play somewhere else on some tournament or a mixtape or YouTube and reaching out. And that's what coaching is like. Coaching is from top to bottom, from recruiting down to how you handle you guys off the court. You know, all that stuff is included in what makes a good coach. And so I think that, you know, that formula, you know, at, at the time it was frowned upon. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the way he was winning and it was, they were like really smoking teams with, mm-hmm. with this form, you know, um, it rubbed some people the wrong way, man. And I, I don't, I, I don't blame them. Like I would be mad too, because you're playing one way and some here comes this guy who's not from here, who's bringing guys that are not from here. Right. Who's winning. Right. And, 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 you know, like you were saying, like the fact that some coaches are still like, I want to win with all Alberta guys. Basketball is a global game. This is college basketball. That doesn't cut it. You got to be able to assemble the best team with the best group of guys. If that means you got to go get a guy from Brazil, if that means you got to go to Australia, if that means you got to go to France, that means you got to go to the States. That's just a part of the game. College coaches across the world are doing the same thing. And in Ontario, right, in the OCAA, you don't see it as much because it's so saturated with talent, Mm -hmm. right? There are so many guys in Ontario, just in Toronto alone. And the OCAA is like 20, I think 24 schools in the OCAA. It is deep. Researching on them for natties this year, I was like, this is a deep conference. Very deep conference. And they have so much talent there that they don't have to go and get international players, which is different than Alberta, right? There's only pockets of places here that play basketball. Lethbridge has a strong basketball uh, culture. Uh, Calgary has a strong basketball culture, but and has recently kind of 
came together more and more. Edmonton has always had its own blue-collar basketball culture, right? So though there was little pockets, but, you know, you go out east, you're like, you walk into any gym, you'll find a kid that can probably play a sport, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, the coaching and the growth of the game in Canada, obviously, you've seen them went get to the third at FIBA this year was a big part of it. With Don, did you ever kind of get the reason I think we kind of know the reason that with everything we've talked to, but you know, this is the guy that was just in the ACAC championships and he's like, go. And you really can only go from one reason. It wasn't like he asked for more money. He, like he talked about, he had the same conversation he always had with the AD. Um, Cause you have coaches at all levels, uh, NCAA, Canada West, U sports, CCA, whatever that don't, they go one in 15 and to get their job back next year. This is a guy that made it to provincials and was not welcome and was consistently doing that and wasn't welcome back. I think in a lot of ways it's a business decision. Um, when you watch the film and then you go on and look at who they replaced him with, um, you start to you start to be like, well, this is you know, there's this is questionable, you know. Yeah. Um it's very questionable. And obviously we did the film because we didn't think it was fair how he was treated, obviously. Not. But we never, ever allude to and We never actually know why he was let go, right? We just leave that up to the audience to speculate. Yeah. But, you know, good films do one of two things. They either teach you something mm-hmm. or they make you want to learn more about a topic. Boom. Right? And they did both. And so, yeah, exactly. And so I think when the audience goes and they do their own due diligence and they see kind of what had transpired after Don left, then they're going to be like, man, this is, this is crazy. Right. And then not just what transpired, it's like, what about the other coaches after, you know, uh, and the things that they got canned for, you know, cause this is not, you know, I think if it's just a basketball decision, there's no way you let them go. Right. So there has to be other things around that. And we hear from the players from their mouth straight, you know, they tell it how they think it is. And so, it's uh you know at the end of the day i think you know nate also has their own brand to protect they have their own uh their business you know and so i know that they were getting a lot of heat for bringing these guys and you know it's 2008 2009 2010 this is you know over a decade ago culture is different the way you know toronto kids even the way I was perceived in like 2014, 2015, when I came to Edmonton and played was different. You know, I was obviously, I could feel as a black kid, you can feel a little bit of the the heat in the eyes and stuff like that. And I think at the time, Nate, as a brand, they didn't want that awareness. It, this is my opinion. This is my personal opinion. I, I don't think they were, they were prepared for the kind of attention that they were getting in the media, from other coaches, from other schools, from the community. Right. And so I think that's what ultimately what led them in, to, to say, you know, let's just replace it with a white coach. Right. Mm-hmm. But what they didn't realize was that, you know, you switch out a coach, you're losing a bunch of guys. Right. A bunch of guys are are tied to this guy that they, that is coaching. Right. And so when you come in and switch things up, you're, you're shaking up the whole roster. Right. So I couldn't help but see two NCAA parallels uh, with it. Number one, just how the culture was changed. Ela uh, Michigan Wolverines. I saw a, a little bit of that with how they kind of changed the culture of the ACAC. And then um, 
with coach himself a little bit of what's going on with Deion Sanders right now and the conversations that are around Deion and there no one's saying anything outright about Dion, but there's all the subliminal stuff, right? When some of these schools win about stuff. And I couldn't help but see both of those of the style of play that Nate was having was very similar to what the Wolverines were doing at times, right? And people, again, skirting around certain conversations, but you know what a lot of these analysts and stuff really wanted to say. And it's kind of the same with, with Dion right now. And you could definitely feel that as someone that's been in that league now for 10 years, you definitely feel that at the same time with Nate. You knew they were doing something different. You knew they were changing the style, but you also knew there was the detractors for those different reasons. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's usually how it goes. Anybody that comes in and is doing something innovative yeah. is usually going to get, they can get a lot of pushback and get a lot of flack. You know, there's a resistance to that kind of change, right? And so that's why uh, I think that, you know, Don's story is so special because he was a product of that same culture at Brandon. He brought that to Nate. And I think that there was a little bit of residual from Brandon that followed him to Nate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now he's trying to change his culture in a very similar way. And everybody's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not, that's not how we do things here. Right. Um, but what we love about Don is that he, he, he powered through and he won. He won yes. back to back. Uh, he did it his way. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the powers that be didn't, didn't take too kindly to that. So. It's interesting too, like you mentioned uh, in the Ontario League and the OCAA, I don't think Don being there would have been even close to the issue that it would have been, but you're out here in the prairies and it's like entirely different. Even if he was out in BC, I don't think it would be a big deal, but out here in the prairies side of things, it's a completely different mindset. Yeah, it is a mindset thing. It's a culture, right? It's a culture yeah. and then there's nothing wrong with that, but eventually you have to understand that culture is meant to be shifted. Right. Mm-hmm. People come in and they change culture. You know, people come in and, you know, things don't stay the same for a century. You know, they, they evolve and the game, I think Don's existence as a head coach in the prairies was reflective of the game evolving. Right. Since then, more more people from outside of here have come to play. Since then, the game has grown globally. The Canadian game has grown. Right. So I think it was a matter of time. And so. Don was just that at first domino, you know. The 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 title of the movie is called Coaching Well Black, but you can almost put up parentheses after black and put listed because it is kind of crazy that almost a decade later now, a guy that has the winning formula than him and all these programs say at the end of the day, we want to win. And to have him not at the at the head of one of these collegiate institutions is really curious and unfortunate and even don himself said yeah i still want to coach and still does other stuff but you would think any of these institutions now here in 2023 would be running to a guy that has a legacy and has respect among a lot of players and it's kind of wild that he is still not a front man on one of these teams yeah i think there's a similar thing here that you know i think it's very similar how they did demarcus cousins carmelo anthony a lot of these players that we see have unfortunate exits from the league. Yeah. And it's because, you know, they do, they're good at what they do, but they do it in their own way. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of teams are very hesitant. Uh, I, I can't spec, I can't speculate why teams don't want to hire him. I just, I just assume that it's because of the, the attention and the flack he brought when he was at Nate. Um, I think he's definitely built a sort of a reputation for himself. 
um obviously not purposely but you know i think you know basketball community is a very small community you know mm -hmm. you know we, we had jermaine small in there discuss that as well and it, you know even him after the film went through a similar situation right where so it's uh it's 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 really hard to pin it down man i just think you have to kind of look at it from the humanity aspect it's like this yeah. at the end of the day this is a human being right and yeah. so it's a human being that's not able to do what he loves right yeah. even though he's qualified to do it you know so i think that when you're looking at it from that perspective you're like that's when you start to ask all the questions and you start to ask why how where you know and what do we do to to, to prevent this from yeah. happening again have you had anyone reach out to you after the viewing of the films at the multiple uh, festivals you've had about Don and about, you know, why he's not a coach and team team or people reach out like, yeah, he should be a coach. A lot of people are like, he should, he should be working as a coach. Yeah. Um, nobody reached out and said why they haven't. I've had other coaches that are like, Hey, we'd like to watch the doc. Um, uh, I I I don't know what I don't know what the future is in store for him. I don't know. I, I would like to hopefully you know I think that he's a savant when it comes to basketball. If you talk 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 to him for like an hour, and you see his, his perspective on the game, because he's also a player too. He played. He played yep. Division One. He played in Wyoming. He played at North Dakota. You don't get State. that from a lot of coaches. You don't get that from any coaches, man. No. You know, a lot of these coaches are not a player's coach, right? No. And. Uh, that's the that's the thing that stands out about him. It's like you know, when a coach is telling you something, you respect it more if you know the coach has done it himself, mm -hmm. right? I think that's that's I think it's a given. You don't. How do you get coached by, you know, a guy that doesn't even have a jump shot? Yeah. Right. How, you know, the game is very X's and O's are very important, but the personal experience of a coach and as a player, I think resonates deeply with players. And I think it's very, very important. I don't know. There's coaches that are successful without playing. Absolutely. But I think that, you know, a guy like Tex uh, should be protected, you know, because it's, 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 it's very rare to see guys who have done what he's done. And then not only on the basketball side, educationally, mm -hmm. right. He's, he's an educated black man. You know, he's got a master's degree in teaching, you know, um, outside of the basketball you're like man this guy is a this is the kind of guy you would want around your kids absolutely well that that and you talked about the teaching side i think that's such a lost thing too of a guy that could be a great leader of anyone men women who however you define yourself would be a great leader of that absolutely absolutely he's a great teacher i learned i've learned and i've actually been very fortunate to do this documentary because i myself have learned so much about myself working with techs you know, yeah. he's taught me a lot about myself. Um, you know, the conversations that we've had, obviously, you know, while doing this project, um, are 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 beautiful conversations, are beautiful connections uh between two human beings. It's a it's the relationship of a player and a coach again, right? And as I was doing the project, I started to see firsthand what these guys appreciated about him so much, you know, and it was a beautiful thing to witness. And even now, still, you know, obviously with the with the release of the film and we're still, you know, going on this festival run and, uh, you know, we're in contact, obviously, uh, a few times a week, you know, and I'm just seeing, one, a guy that loves the game, two, a guy that loves to give back, right? 
And and three, you know, just his perspective on the game. He's truly a basketball savant. A few more questions, and I'll let you get out of here. And I appreciate your time. Um, you as a player, you mentioned you as a player. Did you see any different view of the game from you being a player now, and maybe still things you take away as a player to being a filmmaker? That's a player. Yeah, you know, my biggest takeaway is it's 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 all the same game. You know, yeah. um, basketball is a long game. Right. It's a game, you know, um, it's a marathon. Looking back on my career, I wish I kind of stuck out a little bit more. I wish I played my five years, you know, because I understand now looking back on it. Um, it's not a sprint. You know, it doesn't it's not the first two years that you see uh, the dividends from the work you put in. It's like the third, fourth, fifth year, you know, um, and it's the same thing with filmmaking. You know, it's a long game. Your first film is going to be garbage right uh your second film might be a little better but you know you need those reps and that time like the time is so important and you know i i understood that as a basketball player but i also wanted i was thirsty for other experiences and so um looking back on this film now like after now that i finished this film i'm like man i wish i kind of gave uh my career the same patience i gave this film you know and um it's beautiful to see how the game is growing. It's beautiful to see like, you know, the different players and their different experiences and them seeing uh, us, you know, cause me and Kwame was my DP and we played together at Concordia. Um, being able to see athletes make that transition out of sports. I think it's a very difficult transition. It's one that I'm hoping to touch on in a couple more films, both doc and uh, narratives uh just i think it's a it's a it's a phenomenon that we don't ever discuss you know no. how hard it is for mm-hmm. a person that's done something their whole life to transition and and change that and start in a totally new field and a totally new uh, endeavor it's a very very difficult task that we don't actually ever discuss especially in the mental health side you know there's an identity crisis that comes with that there's a depression that comes with that there's this, you know, this, 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 this chip on your shoulder, you know, I, everybody deals with it differently. And I've spoken to female and male athletes that have both went through that. And I think, man, it'd be cool to kind of dive into that psych a little bit more. Yeah. And so I think that's really, really important. So that's kind of the, I could talk to you about that for 50 minutes, but we're not, we're (laughs) going to, I love that idea. Um, The last two questions I have for you. One is what's been, you know, what's the festival side of things been like? This is obviously somewhat new for you being the filmmaker side of it. What's been the most fun in your experience on the festival side of things? Yeah, this is my first festival season. So it's been crazy. It's overwhelming. It's been draining. <laughs> um, but what I've, what I've noticed is that, you know, as a filmmaker, if you've got something to say, uh, there is a platform for you to say it. If you're willing to go back and, put in the work and make the project and, and and make the thing that is a statement of, you know, cause films are essentially essays on society, their critiques, their viewpoints on what we're seeing, whether it's dark or it is. So being in the festival circuit as a filmmaker um, has been very, very rewarding. You know, it's, it's, it's nice to see that this story of resilience of black leadership is 
so well received to the general public, you know, to people who have nothing to do with basketball. Right. And that's kind of was the, the biggest worry is like, are people that don't know anything about basketball going to appreciate the story? And, and uh, the festival circuit has shown me that, yeah, people are appreciating it. You know, we've got nominated for two Rosies. Um, yes. uh, we got a, a, got a mention on the DGC long list for the project. And so it's been, it's being very well received. And it's a story that's never been done. And so I'm seeing that, yes, there is a place for our stories. There is a place for these perspectives. People will listen if you have something to say. And what's been your biggest takeaway from doing the film? Um, I want to do it again. You know, yeah. uh, the takeaway is, you know, trying to figure out how to do it um, for the rest of your life. You know, well, the thing about basketball is the sense of urgency behind uh, having a career because you can only do it before 30, right? right? There's always a ceiling, right? And so I'm 30, I turned 30 this year. And to find something that I can do for the next four or five decades, yeah. because, you know, Scorsese is 80, right? Yep. And he's still going, you know? So it, 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 my biggest takeaway is like, wow, I found something that I can actually do for the rest of my life. Whatever hat I'm wearing, you know, I can be around this storytelling nature. If I wanted to be around basketball, I can do that. If I wanted to be around other things, you can do that because that's that's just the power of film and it's a universal language no matter what language a film is in people will turn on their subtitles and tune in right so that's been the biggest takeaway is like here's something that we can actually do for a very very long time and get better at it well alex it's been an absolute privilege i always like picking your brain because you got one of the most talented minds in the business right now uh where can everyone find the doc right now outside of the festival circus if they can't make it to one yeah, if you're in Alberta, um, it is available on Telus Optic TV. Uh, after the festival circuit, we'll be securing some wide distribution so that the rest of the world can access it. But Telus Optic TV on demand, it's there, Coaching Wild Black. And we also did actually uh, a behind-the-scenes documentary, 30-minute one, uh, just showing the process of it as well. That's also available on Telus Optic TV. So check it out. Yeah. Thank you, sir. And until next time, folks, cheers. And enjoy the day, people. Thank you for listening to the Fresh Take Network. Follow us on social media platforms at Fresh Take 42.